Hello, welcome to Second Chances, the Persuasion Podcast, a sequel to Second Impressions, the Pride and Prejudice Podcast. My name is Tom. And I'm Grace. And we're going to be going through Jane Austen's Persuasion chapter by chapter. Yep, so to those who have listened to our first podcast, Second Impressions, we are back. We are doing Persuasion now. Mm-hmm. I Hopefully we covered Pride and Prejudice to your satisfaction. Yes, hopefully every stone has been turned with uh, regards to Pride and Prejudice. And now we're going to give Persuasion the same treatment. And we are sorry for any our, any listeners to our previous podcast. We're sorry for the delay on this. Yes. But we are back now. Yes. We're doing this. And we are doing Persuasion. And we are very excited to be talking about Persuasion. Mm-hmm. A very different book than Pride and Prejudice in a lot of ways. Would yes. you agree? Yes. In a lot of ways. I mean, it was written in kind of the winter of Jane Austen's lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell, we'll talk about it a little more, but you can sort of tell this was not as edited as her previous works. Um, the chapters are longer. Mm-hmm. And as a result, these episodes might be a little longer. Um, some might even be broken up into two episodes. Right. That's true. So <laughs> we'll keep you stay tuned as far as that goes. Yes. But yes, this is Austen's last completed novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was published after her death. So uh, the tone is definitely more somber, but don't worry. There's still, there's no shortage of romance still. Mm-hmm. And no shortage of humor. Yes. Okay, so why is it called Second Chances? Well, to those who've read Persuasion already, I'm sure you can deduce why. And to those who haven't, well, you just have to wait and see. How's that? That sounds good. Okay. I, I think that's fair. Okay. And we should also, I think it's worth mentioning, Persuasion is not necessarily the title Austin mm. would have chosen. That's a title that was chosen after her death when this book was released. That's true. But there is a lot of persuasion going on here. Mm-hmm. Not quite in the first chapter. No. But we'll get to it. Yeah. So I think we should just launch right in All right. with the first chapter. What do you think? I think we have kept our audience waiting long enough, so let's dive right in. Do you want to start reading for us, Grace? Sure. Okay, so this is Volume 1, Chapter 1. Sir Walter Elliot of Kellynch Hall in Somersetshire was a man who, for his own amusement, never took up any book but the baronetage. Okay, let's pause. This first sentence is very long, actually. It's a complete paragraph in its own, so we're going to have to break it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But what is the baronetage? It is this book of baronets. It was a real book published um, in Jane Austen's lifetime, just a book of baronets. And what's a baronet? Sorry to put you on the spot here. <laughs> They're kind of like knights who have inherited the title, not like um, not like Sir uh, Lucas, not like Sir William Lucas, uh, right. who was dubbed a knight. Yeah, this exactly. Is, this is an inherited uh, title. Not like Sir Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A baronet, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a wealthy family in England who has had this title of Sir for like many generations, right? Mm-hmm. And the baronetage is a book that basically lists them all, all the families in England. And so this is uh, Sir Walter Elliot's. This is where he turns to amusement to look at the baronetage. Yep, this uh-huh. is, yeah. What a, gr- what a way to start off the book. Here we have this man, his favorite book is a book about himself, essentially. Yeah, if it's not obvious, Sir Walter is a baronet. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> there he found, there in the book, he mm-hmm. found occupation for an idle hour and consolation in a distressed one. Mm where his faculties were roused into admiration and respect by contemplating the limited remnant of the earliest patents, 
Okay, Let, let's time out there also. Yes. <laughs> All right, so there in this book, Sir Walter's uh, faculties were roused into admiration and respect by contemplating the limited remnant of the earliest patents. Mm. Well, okay, what does it mean by the earliest patents? What is like that? Like the earliest family names in the book, the earliest entries into this giant book of ancient families. Uh, so the oldest families listed in this book, right? Yeah. And why is it the limited remnant of these earliest families? These lines just died out. They uh, were not able to produce heirs, and the, the family name just ended with... with whomever was the last person in the family so whenever sir walter uh is feeling either he needs some to kill some time or he's feeling a little distressed he likes to look over these ancient family names that have all died out yeah. they inspire feelings of admiration and respect in him for himself i think yeah it's like oh i i, I rank among these yeah. ancient noble families <laughs> right and at least my line has not ended uh -huh, that's another good point yeah i'm still around <laughs> unlike these families there, any unwelcome sensations arising from domestic affairs changed naturally into pity and contempt as he turned over the almost endless creations of the last century. And there, if every other leaf were powerless, he could read his own history with an interest which never failed. So, okay, let's stop there for a second Yeah, as well. yeah. Okay, so he likes to look at the book to look at the earliest families listed there that have all died off, right? Mm -hmm. And there, and whenever he's feeling any unwelcome sensations arising from domestic affairs, meaning what? Could be a number of things. Domestic affairs could imply, as we'll see later in this chapter, uh -huh. his own actual family affairs. Like domestic, meaning his literal home, mm -hmm. right? But also maybe arguably the nation. The state of the nation. <laughs> it's not quite clear. I tend, like, based on the information we'll get later, I think that it means, I mean, what I, how I read it is anytime, like, something, like, some problem in his own, own home is distressing Sir Walter, this is, like, a book he goes to to console himself, right? That's right. And how did, why is he consoled? By turning over the almost endless creations. Okay, well, so when he looks at this book, and he looks at the endless creations of the last century, meaning what? the newest entries into the book uh -huh. so whenever he looks he either looks at the oldest entries in the books and feels admiration and respect and that makes him feel good or he looks at the newest families the most recent made baronets yeah. and feels contempt and pity for them <laughs> i guess it just like makes him anytime something's wrong in the home he can look at these families that got established long after his family was established and like feel superior to them right exactly yeah uh yeah okay and there, if every other leaf were powerless, like, if no other page could make him feel good, you know, if <laughs> looking at the ancient families doesn't make him fill him with admiration, and looking at the new families doesn't fill him with a sense of self-superiority, then he can always read his own history yes. with an interest which never failed. Okay, and then continuing, continuing on, mm -hmm. this was the page at which the favorite volume always opened. And here we have the entry. Elliot of Kellynch Hall. And based on the very first words of that book, who is who is Elliot of Kellynch Hall? Like that is himself. Himself and his own family. Okay. okay, here's the entry. So this is really I, the first two reasons he likes the book are a little facetious almost. <laughs> he does like looking at the other family names, you know. The ones that are dead he can admire. The ones that are alive he can, you know, scorn. But why he really likes this book is so he can look at his own name and his own family's name, right? Yeah, just talking more about it now, it really just feels like a clubhouse, you know? 
like entries into the clubhouse guest book or something like or like clubhouse members and he can feel he can feel a sense of superiority because or sorry he feels a sense of respectability because he is like a part of this baronetage uh, um i mean this was a book that was published that yeah. you could buy and then he also feels contempt for like the later entries the ones who whose lines are not as as ancient as his right because of, of course they're crass new money <laughs> right <laughs> Um, I just love, this book is basically just, like, a mirror yeah. for Sir Walter. Like, another mirror that he can look into and be like, look, my own name. <laughs> okay. All right, so this is his favorite page of the volume, yeah. Elliot of Kelly and Shaw. And what, what goes under, what is the writing under this headline? It says, Walter Elliot, born March 1st, or March 1, 1760. So that's himself, Sir Walter. <laughs> Married July 15th, 1784. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth, daughter of James Stevenson, Esquire of South Park, in the county of Gloucester, by which lady... Oh, I'm sorry, just Elizabeth is his wife. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, daughter of James Stevenson, etc., etc. Yes. Yeah. By which lady who died 1800, he has issue Elizabeth, the daughter Elizabeth. He has children, yeah. Born June 1, 1785, and born August 9th, 1787, a stillborn son, mm -hmm. November 5th. 1789 mary born november 20 1791 mm -hmm. has issue has, has given issue. birth to yeah that issue could be a synonym for give birth to exactly. <laughs> yeah so this is the paragraph that he loves to stare at all day long which is his own family his himself and his own family that's right yeah uh so what do we get there's a lot of information actually in this little paragraph what what information do we get here all right well we get him um we get his wife we know that his wife has died uh-huh who and died 1800 we know that he has had technically he's had four children mm -hmm. elizabeth and a stillborn son who would have been we'll talk the, about this later yeah, but yeah. he would have been the heir who uh -huh. would have been the next sir walter yeah and mary um we'll talk about this more but this is more sort of the 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 line this book straddles which is comedy and tragedy mm -hmm. and like here's sir walter already we get he's a ridiculous person like he likes to look at his own name in a book that's like his favorite book in the world which he turns to all the time it's his personal bible it's he might as well just be like staring at himself it's like a narcissist it's like narcissus uh, looking at his own reflection um except in this case it's in a published book <laughs> but here we're already getting like there's there's been like tragedy in yes. sir walter's life like his wife died he has this stillborn son, which is, you know, tragic in and of itself, but it's also doubly tragic because it means, like, Sir Walter's child. <laughs> if you want to know more about entailment, listen to the other podcast. But basically, you know, he can only pass the line on, the the estate on to a, a son, to a man, a male heir. Right. And he could not produce one. He came close, but it didn't, didn't happen. The no dice. Yeah. Precisely such had the paragraph originally stood from the printer's hands. So, when he received the book, this was what was printed in the book. Uh -huh. But Sir Walter had improved it mm -hmm. by adding, for the information of himself and his family, these words, after, after the date of Mary's birth. Married December 16, 1810. So, Mary was married December 16, mm -hmm. 1810. The youngest child, yes. yeah. So, she married Charles, son and heir of Charles Musgrove, Esquire of Uppercross, in the county of Somerset. And that's the, so that's the um, addition. That's the addition that Sir Walter put in the book that mm -hmm. he himself wrote into the book. One of the additions. One of the yeah, additions. Yeah, because, you know, like, as you see in the paragraph above how 
it says Elizabeth married to Sir Walter. He just basically added that after Mary's name, mm-hmm. which is conveniently the last entry in the, the paragraph anyway. Right. So that's one of the things. And what's the other thing he inserted? And by inserting most accurately the day of the month on which he had lost his wife. That's kind of sad. Yeah. That he had to add that in himself. Or, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, why do you think Sir Walter felt it necessary to give the exact date of his wife's death? Well, I guess I'm a little confused because it says... Oh, because, okay, the book printed only the year. Uh And he felt it necessary to add the month and day. Yeah. Hmm. It is kind of sad, isn't it? Yeah. I guess it's just, like, it should be more specific. Yeah. Maybe it is also, like, to to be less... To take less pity on him, it is just about being as accurate as possible of his own history. Uh, so it's like, it's not enough that the printer put the year. Like, he himself has to specify the month and day. And I do want to say, Austin does not want you to feel pity for Sir Walter. <laughs> Austin never wants you to really feel pity for anyone, uh, let alone someone as ridiculous as Sir Walter. Well, I feel like we've already get... We've had the word pity once in this story, and it's used in like a... You know, Austin thinks pity is condescending and that's how sir walt like sir walter pities like these new made families right yeah i mean it's also like the way that jane austen wrote this by inserting most accurately the day of the month it's like what is most accurately it's Uh it's a single day and a month like how is it like that difficult for him to have is it like that much of an of a success for him to have remembered the day and month i feel like that's sir walter's words right exactly. like most accurately <laughs> also love this word improved he improved the text by just like handwriting underneath it it's definitely like it is like pathetic <laughs> it inspires like pity like condescension kind of mm-hmm. like but it's, it's it, almost like in the same vein of like well like to talk about another of Jane Austen's book, like, Emma, like, in the first paragraph, we learned that Emma, like, lost her mother at a very young age. It's almost, like, put in there as, like, an afterthought. Uh-huh. In the same way that here we learn very quickly, like, a death in the family. I guess it's, like, also indicative, like, maybe Sir Walter has not... It's hard to tell how, especially we have very limited information of him here, how hard he's taken his wife's death and, like, what the most accurately inserting of the date means, whether that means, like, he misses her, or if that's just, like, Sir Walter, you know, wanting this book to have the most accurate information. Even though, of course, only him and his family are going to see these additions that he made himself. That's true. It is almost, like, childlike for him to do this. It's kind of childlike, right? Uh, Okay, so moving on. Okay. Then follow the history and rise of the ancient and respectable family... In the usual terms. So I guess you'd have the most recent family up top. Yeah. And then under all this information is the rest of the Elliot family through the years, right? Mm-hmm. How it had been first settled in Cheshire, mm-hmm. now mentioned in Dugdale. What is Dugdale? It's like a supplementary text or something. As far as we can understand, it's <coughs> another list of baronets and ancient <laughs> families. But I think the emphasis is more on old families. Like yeah. they wouldn't have the new made families in there. Right. So maybe not less, almost like maybe this Baron Attach is the supplement to the Dugdale. Yeah. I think like appearing in the Dugdale would be more prestigious because that means then you're truly an ancient family, right? Yeah. So, um, okay. The respectable family serving the office of high sheriff, mm-hmm. representing a borough in three successive parliaments, exertions of loyalty and dignity of baronet mm-hmm. in the first year of Charles II, with all the Marys and Elizabeth they had married, forming altogether two handsome duodecimo pages. 
Okay, hold on. Let's let's stop there for a second. Yeah. So blah blah blah. You know, this these are all the accomplishments of the Elliot family through the years, through right? The years. We at did one, a crash course in the history of the Elliot family. Uh, at one point, one of the Elliots was the high sheriff of like <laughs> the borough, I suppose. Yeah, right? having served three successive parliaments, uh, so they maintain office for quite a while. Um, exertions of loyalty and dignity of baronet in the first years of Charles II, which meaning, which means th- this is a whole big history. I am not the expert on it. But basically, in the English Civil War, they sided with the monarchy, right? Yep. And so then they were rewarded with a baronetcy. And then with all the Marys and Elizabeths, these former Sir Walters have married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and why, why Marys and Elizabeths? I think, oh, well, I mean, I know because this note just says they're the most common English names of the time uh, for girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Queen Elizabeth. Oh, et cetera, yes. Et cetera. And Queen Mary. Yeah. Long time ago. Okay, so altogether, the Elliots form two handsome Dewey Decimo pages. Which is just like a little book, like a pocket book, pocket sized book of the same book that we have been talking about. For so, time. yeah, this is this is the glorious family, Elliot family line. It's two pages. Hey, two handsome pages. Two handsome pages, yes. yeah. So it's not, it's not like one and a half pages. It's two solid pages. I think it's fair to say that they are not the most, like, ancient and noble family in this book. <laughs> but they're, they're definitely respectable, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And concluding with the arms and motto, Principal Seed Kelly and Hall in the county of Somerset, so that's uh, that's where they reside. That's uh-huh. their home. Yeah, yeah. And Sir Walter's handwrit- handwriting, again, in this finale, heir presumptive, William Walter Elliot Esquire, great-grandson of the second Sir Walter. Okay, so at the end of all of this, it says who the heir presumptive is to Sir Walter. Who will inherit Kelly uh-huh. Hall. And it can't be one of Sir Walter's children because he didn't have a son, mm-hmm. as we know from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And so who is this heir presumptive? This mysterious William Walter Elliot Esquire, mm-hmm. great-grandson of the second Sir Walter, which after we've talked, we talked about this off podcast, but we, we, we're suspecting that this William Walter Elliot is the nephew of, of the Sir Walter we've been reading about in the first chapter. Something. Okay. Something like so that. So the second Sir Walter is William Walter Elliot's great-grandfather so i think that means the second sir walter would be our sir walter's grandfather yes because he is one generation above mr elliot william elliot yes so whatever yeah go ahead we're gonna i mean i'm sure as we read on we'll get more information about the relation between mr elliot and sir walter Sir Walter's grandfather is Mr. Elliot's great-grandfather. That's right. What it boils down to is William Elliot is the closest, like, male heir that Sir Walter has. Or male relative, I should say. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay. do you want to keep going? Yeah, I'll take over this. All right, this is a very important uh, paragraph here and (laughs) sentence. Vanity was the beginning and the end of Sir Walter Elliot's character. Great. (laughs) Vanity of person... End of situation. Right. So here is Austin. In case you didn't get it, this is the essence of Sir Walter's character. Yeah, Jane and Austen uh, is not shy about telling you exactly how to think about a character. I, I love how like biblical sounding this is. It's the beginning and the end of his character. <laughs> it's the alpha and omega uh, of this man's life. <laughs> this is how he. This is where he started, and this is where he will end. All in vain. <laughs> All in vanity. All in and, vanity of person uh-huh. and of situation. Okay, vanity of person. What does that mean? 
just how he looks, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's appearances. Like, yeah. he's vain of his own personal appearances. Yes. And what does it mean, vanity of situation? Like his family. His family and the baronetcy and the fact that he is Sir Walter. Which, we, if you didn't already know that from the first few par- par- uh, paragraphs we've read, this is Jane Austen definitively telling you he is a very vain man. He just, like, he gets satisfaction from how he looks and from who he is, essentially, from mm-hmm. the position he holds in life, right? Mm-hmm. Which he's done nothing to earn, but whatever. <laughs> I guess he earned it by being born into it, right? Yeah. Uh, he had been remarkably handsome in his youth. We're back on the text now. And at 54, was still a very fine man. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love how specific this book is. It's like, it's hard to be more specific than what we're doing right now. Like, these are the years of all, these are the years all the principal characters were born. This is where they're from. This is their age, yes, right? Yes, this is how old they are. Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay, so Sir Walter had been remarkably handsome in his youth, and at 54 was still a very fine man. So he has held on to his looks, even though he's 54 now. <laughs> Few women could think more of their personal appearance than he did. Nice. Nor could the valet of any new-made lord be more delighted with the place he held in society. <laughs> All right, what is this saying? Nor could the valet of any new-made lord be more delighted than Sir Walter with the place he held in society. With the place that this hypothetical valet held, holds, right? Well, okay, so this is saying, like, basically Sir Walter Elliot is more is more vain, is more self-satisfied than even the valet of a new-made lord. and With his position. With his own position, yeah, yeah. yes. And so... You know, if you're working for, if, if you're a valet, you serve someone, and then that person that you're serving has been made a lord, has been given a lordship, you as the valet would probably feel a certain sense of superiority or elevation mm. as well, having, now having, now being the valet of a lord, a new made lord. I, what, y- yeah, go ahead. And so what this paragraph is saying <laughs> is that Sir Walter feels more self-satisfied with himself than even this newly promoted valet uh like the subtext for me here is just like sir walter acts like new money right even though he is the standard bearer of this ancient dignified line like he acts like he's like nouveau riche basically and he acts so much like that that it's not even like you know he does it's not even that he acts like a new made lord or like someone who recently acquired wealth he acts like the servant of (laughs) a new (laughs) of someone who became recently wealthy yeah i mean it's no accident that um jane austen is evoking the image of a, of a valet in comparison to Sir Walter instead of an actual lord. Uh, and I think it's worth mentioning, you know, a valet is, like, a little different than, like, a typical servant, I guess. It's, like, the personal, like, helper kind yeah. of. They, if you're a valet of a lord, you're going to hold yourself with a certain degree of, like, <laughs> uh, dignity. Yes. Even though you are still a servant. But this is how Sir Walter acts, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. He considered the blessing of beauty, his own blessing of beauty, as inferior only to the blessing of the baronetcy. <laughs> so these are the two most desirable things in life, and Sir Walter has both of them. Be- physical appearance, right? Mm-hmm. And a baronetcy. <laughs> uh, and the Sir Walter Elliot, who united these gifts, was the constant object of his warmest respect and devotion. Oh, isn't that just so sweet that... The subject of his warmest respect and devotion... Is who? Is himself. Is himself. I love how this sentence is phrased, because this is like you're getting into the psychology of Sir Walter. Yeah. The Sir Walter Elliot, who united the gifts of beauty and a baronetcy, is the constant object of Sir Walter's own warmest devotion. Yeah, it's almost... 
it is sort of like himself looking at a mirror of himself and they're able to just admire each other's beauty uh, in he, a way. It's like he thinks of himself in the third person. <laughs> like there is this image of the beautiful baronet that is Sir Walter and Sir Walter's own head and it's his ideal human being. <laughs> <laughs> it's the man he looks up to most in life. Okay. Sir Walter's good looks and his rank had one fair claim on his attachment. So now we are getting into Austin's voice. There is one good thing that Sir Walter's good looks and ranks brought him, in Austin's opinion. Mm. Since to these, to his good looks and ranks, he must have owed a wife of very superior character to anything deserved by his own. <laughs> so, by his own character. By his own character, yeah. According to Austin, the only good thing the only good thing that Sir Walter's looks and ranks have ever brought him in his life is a wife who is vastly superior to his own <laughs> self, right? Yes. Like a reasonable, intelligent woman. Mm -hmm. Lady Elliot had been an excellent woman, sensible and amiable, whose judgment and conduct, if they might be pardoned the youthful infatuation which made her Lady Elliot, <laughs> had never required indulgence afterwards. All right, Lady Elliot, great lady. Only mistake in life she ever made was marrying Sir Walter. <laughs> but we can look past this because she's so sensible and amiable, right? Well, yeah. Well, that's be also because she was youthful. She was young and infatuated uh -huh. by, as we, as we know, like, Sir Walter was a looker in his youth. And I think it's kind of, it's like, you know, Austin is ridiculing Sir Walter. But she's also like, hey, you know... It's not that crazy to be attracted by good looks and position in yeah. life, right? Even sensible people can be wowed by it. <laughs> and that's why we forgive Lady Elliot. Uh -huh. So this former, the late Lady Elliot, had humored or softened or concealed Sir Walter's failings <laughs> and promoted his real respectability for 17 years. <laughs> and though not the very happiest being in the world herself, had found enough in her duties, her friends, and her children to attach her to life and make it no matter of indifference to her when she was called on to quit them. To quit her duties, friends, and children, a.k.a. By dying. Yeah. This is a tragic sentence, basically. Yeah. There's so much going on, but here, let's... And, let's... A, and a bit harsh, too. Yeah. To, that she was called on to quit them by, by God, by, by heaven. Yeah, the, the hand of God, I guess. Mm. Uh, let's break this down, though. So, this is what Lady Elliot did in her lifetime. She humored, softened, and concealed Sir Walter's failings, right? Yeah, so uh -huh. it's... It, we're, well, I'll, I'll get to this later when we start talking about um, Elizabeth as well. So she, not only did she, like, soften and conceal Sir Walter's failings from the rest of the world, but she did so in a way that, like, humored him. That, and she was able to pull this off without, like, actually hurting Sir Walter's feelings, she, right? Yeah, essentially she coddled his fragile ego. Uh -huh. And then I like this sentence... She promoted his real respectability for 17 years. I suspect that's just his standing in life. Yeah. That's the only thing that he, that's the only, a credit to him. Or sorry, the only credit to him is that he was born into this position. That he is an upholder of an ancient, dignified family. Yeah. And here's, you know, here's the thing. Austin, even though she's ridiculing Sir Walter, like, I believe she would still think that the Elliots are, there is respectability in the ancient noble families. And there's something of real dignity that should be preserved. It's just that Sir Walter isn't doing that, right? Right. But Lady Elliot was doing that. Lady yeah, Elliot she was, was. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, she was. It sounds kind of, sounds kind of like she was like almost the puppet master, like working behind the scenes to make sure that the Elliot name was not like ridiculed as a result of like Sir Walter's own like 
character. Uh, so Lady Elliot, who is not an Elliot by birth, is was the one who <laughs> for 17 years was basically protecting the good name of the Elliots, right? Right. <laughs> And oh. this is this is where the tragedy kind of comes. Yeah, in. yeah. You want to go go on from there. Yeah. So though not the happiest being in the world herself. Ouch. I know. It's like basically she was in an unhappy marriage. Well, yeah. Why isn't she happy? Because her husband's ridiculous. Uh huh. Um, had found enough in her duties. I, I was assuming as a wife and a mother, mm -hmm. her friends and her children, to attach her to life. Mm -hmm. to, to give her the will to live. Essentially. Well, to like to even though she is saddled with Sir Walter, I think duties could also include like the duties of her position, like you know, calling on the poor in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. like being a good like tenant, or I mean, like landlord yeah, right. to a tenant, right? Right. right. Um, so even though she's saddled with Sir Walter, she was able to find, like, distractions and duties and, like, relationships enough in life to, like, make her enjoy her life, right? Well, to attach her to life, which to, is yeah. kind of a harsh way to, to, um, discuss, to talk about it. To make her want to live, basically, Exactly, yeah, right? to give uh -huh. her a purpose in life. Yeah. And make it no matter of indifference to her, and make it no matter of indifference to her when she was called on to quit them. And so... She was, well, so no matter of indifference, that's kind of like a roundabout way to be like, she kind of, like, it wasn't indifferent to her when she died. She would have preferred not to die. Yeah, which is as high a standard, as high a bar as she's able to reach about her life is that, like, she would prefer not to die, uh, which is really, I, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty sad. Okay. <laughs> I think we can go on, right? Yes. Okay. Three girls, the two eldest, 16 and 14, was an awful legacy for a mother to bequeath. Awful in this case isn't like the awful as we understand. It's just sort of like respectable and like worthy of awe. Well, here I'll go on. Okay. An awful charge, rather, to confide to the authority and guidance of a conceited, silly father. Hmm. I actually think that it might be using awful at least a little bit in the... Well, I it's... see the note in your book. But I see, like, I I kind of feel like this is, it is definitely, like, a heavy burden. Heavy, It's yeah. a heavy burden to, like, pass on, especially, like, it's, you know, as we've talked about before, like, you need a son to pass your line on to, and also a son to, like, go out in the world to make money, to work, to be able to, like, I don't know, to, like, promote the interests of the family, kind of. Mm -hmm. So this is a heavy burden, like, three girls... The eldest are in their teenage years. That's a hard <coughs> burden to like pass on to any man, let alone Sir Walter. That's right. True. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It's way too much for Sir Walter to be have been able to handle. <clears throat> An awful charge, like way too heavy a charge to confide to the authority and guidance of a silly, conceited father. Mm -hmm. Like also, these girls like need like a some kind of parental figure in their life. They need, like, guidance to help them, like, grow up right, which would have been Lady Elliot. Right. And it's not going to be Sir Walter. No. Well, good good thing she is a smart, intelligent lady because she had a backup plan. Yeah. What, what is that? Okay, Lady Elliot had, however, one very intimate friend, a sensible, deserving woman, who had been brought by strong attachment to herself, to Lady Elliot herself, to settle close by her in the village of Kellyinch. And on her kindness and advice, Lady Elliot mainly relied for the best help and maintenance of the good principles and instructions which she had been anxious, anxiously giving her daughters. Great. Okay, what's going on here? Tell us so what's happening. So now we're hearing about this unnamed lady, this unnamed friend of Lady Elliot's who um, is sensible, mm -hmm. um, deserving, and um, 
And lives nearby, Kellynch Hall. Kellynch Hall. They brought her, Lady Elliot brought this friend to come live close to them so yeah. she could help raise the daughters, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. So even though there's only, she had to leave these daughters to Sir Walter, fortunately, she had the foresight to bring this wise, sensible friend close by to, yes. like, help raise the daughters. Mm-hmm. This friend and Sir Walter did not marry whatever might have been anticipated on that head by their acquaintance. Thirteen years had passed away since Lady Elliot's death, and they were still near neighbors and intimate friends, and one remained a widower, the other a widow. So now we know some more stuff about this mysterious woman. This is a... Yeah, go ahead. Well, what? Well, it's just an interesting backstory, but what do we know about her? Oh, yeah, is that she is also herself a widow. She's a widow. Right, yeah. And, yes, Sir Walter, as we know, is is a widower. And there was some talk among, like, their acquaintance, their friends, that... After Lady Elliot died, maybe Sir Walter would marry yes. Lady Russell, right? Yeah, but we, but they ne- did not. But that did not happen for a variety of reasons, which will will be briefly touched on in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take up sure. pick up from here? That Lady Russell. So now we know her name now. Mm-hmm. That Lady Russell. That's the friend, yeah. Mm-hmm, of steady age and character, and extremely well provided for, should have no thought of a second marriage. Needs no apology to the public which is rather apt to be unreasonably discontented when a woman does marry again than when she does not. What is that saying? So it was just kind of frowned upon uh, for a widow to remarry. It's, it, was, it was not the... It wasn't great. According I mean, to Austin According here, to Austin. Yeah, yeah. That, like, it, people did not... The public, quote-unquote, did not like it when widows remarried right that's what she's saying kind of right so it's almost like tongue issue like oh she didn't need to apologize to the public like Uh the public is not like surprised that lady russell wouldn't remarry because it's kind of expected of her to just remain a widow Mm -hmm. the rest of her life yeah but sir walter's continuing in singleness requires explanation okay so if the public doesn't like it when a widow gets remarried. How does the public feel about a widower getting remarried? Well, it apparently requires explanation. It requires explanation to not... Like, if the fact that he hasn't gotten married again requires an explanation. Right. Meaning, like... You know, Austin is like... This is, like, very consciously a joke pointing out the hypocrisy of this quote-unquote public. Like, they don't like it when a widow remarries, but they expect a widower to to remarry, right? Right, and... At the same time, in the previous paragraph, we learned that there was talk about gossip about perhaps Lady Russell marrying Sir Walter. So it's like almost like a it's like a lose lose situation where you are sort of like you are not marrying the person that everyone around you thinks you're going to marry. But then also, if you do marry him, all of a sudden you're like frowned upon by society because you're a widow who remarried. So it's like a lose-lose situation for Lady Russell on that end. Uh, So by not marrying at all, she does not need to apologize to the public. And this is like, I can, you know, you can sense that Austin, like, this hypocrisy of the public frustrates her. Like, why, like, should a widow, why does a widow have to remain unmarried the rest of her life, but, like, a widower, like, better be married again, right? Why is that the expectation? Especially because a widow would have no means of income. She's the one who actually does need to remarry, and yet she's the one who would get scorned if she does. Okay, so here is the explanation. Okay. Be it known then that Sir Walter, like a good father, and here in parentheses it says, having met with one or two private disappointments in very unreasonable applications, end parentheses, mm-hmm. prided himself on remaining single for his dear daughter's sake. I love and here we have daughter's daughter singular apostrophe S. 
not daughters plural oh actually my book has daughters plural apostrophe but they do have a note that says there is debate about the correct way (laughs) well that comes we'll we'll talk about that i mean it's actually a big difference if it's singular daughter who well we haven't really gotten into it yet yeah if there is one daughter who is clearly sir walter's favorite which we'll learn very soon yes um but i love i feel like austin is both like the an innovator and the master of free indirect Mm -hmm. and this is an amazing free indirect sentence because it like so encapsulates sir walter's psychology while also allowing the reader to see like how ridiculous and absurd like the way he thinks is right (laughs) yeah so according to sir walter really be it known to the public at large why did, has Sir Walter not remarried? Because, like a good father, he mm. remained sing- remained single for his daughter. Z- or daughter. Whatever. For the sake of... His family. His family. Yeah, so his daughters <laughs> would, like, get all the inheritance, right? So, like, there wouldn't be another person to split up that inheritance with, kind of. That would be why it's for the sake of his family. Yeah, yeah. But, and this, this is an amazing use of parentheses also, that's not really the reason Sir Walter hasn't remarried. Because, in fact... He's proposed twice to two different women whom he never had a chance. Like, these were unreasonable applications. He never had a chance of actually getting with these two mysterious (laughs) women. I also like the one or two private disappointments. As if he can't remember. As if, as if like, he can't remember, like, if it was one one lady out of his league or two ladies out of his league that he proposed marriage to. And it's so in character of what we know already. Like, remember, vanity is the beginning and end of Sir Walter's (laughs) character. So, of course, he's going to be going after women who he doesn't really have a chance with, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, you know, the parentheses, it's like, in Sir Walter's brain, the real reason I haven't married is for my family. But, parentheses, I tried twice and it didn't work. (laughs) Private disappointments. I uh-huh. like and it, it is not, Lady Russell is not one of those unreasonable applications. Lady Russell, uh, Russell would have been a reasonable application. I can imagine. Who do you think, like, the, like, who do you think Sir Walter would have proposed to that would have been unreasonable? Just like a very, probably like a very wealthy, either a very wealthy lady or like a, dare I say, like a Lady Catherine type. I, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. I imagine, or I would like, like, I would think of more, like, Mr. Berg. Mr. Berg. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think someone, like, real, like, young and, like, uh. wealthy and from a noble family. Someone who would be, like, a great get and who, like, the would never marry, like, an old widow, no matter how rich, kind of. A widower, I should say. Right. Well, we'll later learn that he is actually not even rich. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no, no matter how noble, I noble, guess. Noble, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so the, be it known that Sir Walter, like a good father, despite having been rejected twice in two proposals, remained single for his the sake of daughter or daughters, whatever. <laughs> okay, for one daughter, his eldest, he would really have given up anything, which he had not been very much tempted to do. In life, I guess? In yeah, general? I guess it's just saying he does not make compromises in life, but... Not only would he make compromises for Elizabeth, but he really would give up anything for her, which is, mm. it's an, it's a, it's a oddly endearing sentiment here. He would sacrifice for this one daughter, <laughs> but in no other part of his life is he willing to sacrifice. Yeah. AKA his two other daughters. Uh-huh. Elizabeth had succeeded at 16 to all that was possible of her mother's rights and consequence and being very handsome and very like himself, like Sir Walter. Mm-hmm. Her, inf- her influence had always been great, and they had gone on together most happily. Okay. There is, 
three words in this sentence that I think explains why is the the core of why he likes Elizabeth more than his other children and why what do, what do you think those words are um what very handsome what is what are the three words very like himself very like himself yeah, yeah. that's why he loves Elizabeth because she's a reflection of himself yeah uh, mm-hmm. he she is woman sir walter basically <laughs> gosh oh my god um, uh, and she's also so since 16 she has basically served as the the co-head of the Elliot household, the right? Mistress of yeah, Kelly the mistress. Of, yeah, that's a good, a better way of putting it. Yeah, so they'd gone on most happily, father and daughter. Mm-hmm. His two other children were of very inferior value. That's Sir Walter's words. <laughs> very inferior value. I love it. Yeah. So if Elizabeth is very like himself, uh-huh. the other two daughters are very inferior value. And that's, I love how it's so like objectifying and commodifying, you know? That, yeah. Uh-huh. Their value is inferior. <laughs> if Elizabeth is gold, they're like they're tin dirt. and aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mary, the youngest, Mary mm-hmm. had acquired a little artificial importance by becoming Mrs. Charles Musgrove. Mm-hmm. But Anne, with an elegance of mind and sweetness of character, which must have placed her high with any people of real understanding, mm-hmm. was nobody with either father or sister. Yeah, Her word had no weight. Her convenience was always to give way. She was only Anne. Ah. Uh, and if I, I think uh, <laughs> if I were to make an adaptation of Persuasion, I would call it Only Anne. That's a good title for it. Uh, well, that was, Anne was going to be possibly. I think Anne was what she was leaning toward as far as I understand, which would make sense because like it follows, it's like Emma kind of. Mm, it follows her. Yeah. Um, okay. But I like this. So his two other children were of inferior value. Mary, the youngest, who's married, had acquired a little artificial importance, not real importance, like artificial importance seeming importance yeah. basically by marrying by marrying by getting married uh-huh. but anne who okay and these are the, the authors or this, the author's words this is not sir walter's sentiments yeah but anne had an elegance of mind uh-huh. and sweetness of character which placed her high with any which placed her which, value which must have placed which her must high. have placed her yeah. high with any people of real understanding unlike sir walter's understanding yeah unlike the artificial importance of mary oh that's a good contrast was nobody with either sir walter or elizabeth elizabeth yeah, yeah. who essentially the mistress like you said the mistress of yeah the house, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Anne's word had no weight mm-hmm. so no one cared what she said yeah. her convenience was she was always the one who had to sacrifice right things, and she was only Anne. She's only Anne. There's no importance attached to Anne. Elizabeth is the mistress of Kelly Inch Hall. Mary, at least, is married. She has a title, mm. even if it's artificial importance. <laughs> Anne has no title. No. She is only Anne. And that's that's her only. Well, like that's the only. Uh, that's her only um, identifier in the in that book. She's just Anne. Anne. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, well, you you had an interesting thought about the her, the name the the decision to name her Anne. Oh, I just feel like it's an incredibly like plain sounding name. No offense to any Anns out there. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Anns out there. It's one syllable. It like, it's like it, a, it's, it has two like soft uh, consonants in it. The what were you gonna say? Well, yeah, like to your point, it's it's like it's like a, a <laughs> sorry to all the Anns out there, but it, it, like yeah, it's a very like. It's hardly a sound. Uh huh. And it's, it's har- yeah. yeah. It's not a. It's not a Mary or Elizabeth. It's as we know, which are the two most common names, the names that populate 
the Elliot Pages. Mm -hmm. So she's like already an outlier there. Yeah, she's only Anne. It's not a regal name, you know. I also like uh, how it says she's Anne was nobody with either father or sister. I think that really encapsulates who Anne is to Sir Walter and Elizabeth, which is nobody. Not even a person, basically. They don't even acknowledge her as like a human being uh -huh. or like a presence in the room. She's nobody. She's just a, a gust of wind. Okay. So now we have about all the principal players, I think. We've got Sir Walter, we've got Elizabeth, we've got Lady Russell, we got Mary. We don't know a lot about Mary, but we know who she is. We know she's married to Charles Musgrove. And importantly, we have Anne. Yes. Only Anne. Only Anne. Okay. Here, I'll, I'll continue if that's okay. Sure. Okay. So we learn that even though Elizabeth and uh, Sir Walter couldn't think less of Anne... Anyone with real understanding would place a high value on her character, right? right? On her elegance of mind and sweetness of character. To Lady Russell, indeed, Anne was a most dear and highly valued goddaughter, favorite and friend. So we know Lady Russell is sensible, reasonable, smart, and so of course she is the one who sees the value in Anne, right? Yeah. Well, Lady uh -huh. Russell was also previously sort, um, sort of co-signed by Lady Elliot, who also is intelligent. Right. So we got... So yeah, like, we, we know Lady Russell is is like above board it is like bona fide like a good um smart person right it says lady russell loved them all meaning all the elliots i think including sir walter but it was only in anne that she could fancy the mother to revive again Aww. that's a so, great sentence yeah go ahead well yeah so like if in elizabeth we see sir walter then in anne we see lady elliot uh -huh. which is we talked about this in Pride and Prejudice, too. You know, there's a very... Uh, again, we get this book that's opening with the parents. And it just speaks to... Oh, good point. Like, Austen's commitment to psychological realism, even <laughs> though that term wouldn't have been around in her time, which is that children reflect their parents. I think that's like... <laughs> you know, we reflect how the people we grew up with. I think that's a pretty uncontroversial statement, I would hope. Yeah. And so, yeah, great point. Elizabeth is Sir Walter... Anne is the mother, mm -hmm. Lady Elliot, and Lady Russell recognizes that. Right, yeah. I also get a sense Lady Russell misses Lady Elliot way more than Sir Walter does. Yeah, I'm sure she maybe would have rather that Lady Elliot stuck around than Sir Walter. Than Sir Walter, yeah. Especially if Sir Walter's not going to marry her, right? Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, and also, like, if Sir Walter had any respect for her, his wife, then he should be able to see how Anne, like, evokes similar qualities, right? Instead, Anne is just, like, a nothing to him. So right. maybe this is a little insight into how he thought of his wife. I don't know. That... Well, if Lady Ellie herself was not even very happy in her marriage, then, like, we can only maybe deduce from that that Sir Walter probably did not regard her very highly. Yeah, maybe he was smart enough to know that Lady Elliot was, like, keeping him afloat. One would hope or to know that he she had value to him. yeah. I don't know. That value coming in. <laughs> a, a, not a very inferior value. <laughs> okay. A few years before, Anne Elliot had been a very pretty girl, but her bloom had vanished early, and as even in its height, her father had found very little to admire in her. So totally different were her delicate features and mild dark eyes from his own. There could be nothing in them now that she was faded and thin to excite his esteem. Wow. So Anne used to be a very pretty girl, but her bloom had vanished early. This is a recurring image that's going to come up throughout the whole book. Like, the image of blooming and bloom blooms fading, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Which is just to say, like, 
it's like Ellie uh, and Elliot had been pretty, but her prettiness, her beauty didn't really last very long. She hit mm. peak beauty very early and it was very, very short. Uh huh. And I think that also it goes along with like the, you know, the liveliness of character kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like her energy and the energy enthusiasm of youth kind of vanished early for Anne. Yeah. And one can see why living with Sir Walter and Elizabeth. <laughs> mm hmm. Uh, and as even its height, her father had va found very little to admire in Anne. And why is that? Because her looks were so totally different from his own, right? Mm, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. What oh, yeah, you yeah. I was, just, I was agreeing. Yeah. So, like Sir Walter, Sir Walter likes. Not like <laughs> Sir Walter, inferior value, right? Uh, and... Even so, even at her height, Sir Walter hadn't really found much to admire in her. He does not like her delicate features or mild dark eyes. Right. But now that she is faded and thin, there's nothing to excite his esteem about Anne. Yeah. If he already had very little regard for her at her peak bloom, now that she is post bloom, he sees absolutely nothing of value in her. Right. At least, I think at before, this is implying at least he could recognize, you know, shh. Maybe someone could find her pretty, you know, <laughs> not me, you know, because she doesn't look anything like me, so obviously I don't find her pretty, but maybe someone. But now it's just like, oh, there's, even that is gone. There's nothing. I'd love to, like, not to sort of, like, think, contemplate too much about Jane Austen's own life, but we know that she was critical of the society she was in, so I'm sure she met possibly, like, a, a, a patriarch who is very much like a Sir Walter type, like, a, a true, like, vain, like, self-important person who cannot see beyond their own like sense of value mm -hmm. you know i'm just i don't know i just I, find it very interesting i i feel like it's that's a reasonable assumption <laughs> that there is a, a, a one or more than one models for sir walter that passed through austin's life yeah uh we also talked about this in pride and prejudice but like austin's consistent commitment to ridiculous patriarchs right <laughs> patriarchs who do not inspire like feelings of like gravity and respect right right who yeah who I mean, and that's just much more interesting to read about. Uh, I mean, yeah. Fathers and mothers who failed their children. There's uh, Sir Thomas in Mansfield Park who is like, holds himself respectable, but there's a lot of problems with him. Not not the least of which is he's a slave owner. Mm. And uh, there's also uh, the father, Mr. Woodhouse and Emma, who I think is actually the nicest father in all of Austin. Probably. But he's just kind of like finicky and like nervous. Yeah, yeah, he and, is, I mean, he, you can't take him seriously either, because he is also kind of away, like, in a, a baby, a, in, in the similar vein that Sir Walter is kind of a big baby uh, who has to be looked after by the women of his, in his family. Oh, definitely. Emma is in charge of that household in that book. Yeah. And as we learned, Lady Alia was running, running the real, she was the real pants wearer of the family, to use a sexist terminology. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> Lady Russell is, like, now, you know, the who they turn to. Yeah. And he needs a... It seems like Elizabeth is doing a lot of the work, too. That's right. She, yeah, she's the one maintaining the house. Uh, and we'll see later on she's doing more than just that to save the family. Yeah, so Austin is not all about... I, I'm very far from being, like, an upholder of the establishment. That's, like, a small way of showing, like, you know, a, a disestablishmentary attitude, <laughs> if that's what modern readers require. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if that's what modern readers require. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, nothing to excite Sir Walter's esteem now that she was faded and thin. He had never indulged much hope, he now had none, of ever reading her name in any other page of his favorite work. <laughs> 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 and what is his favorite work? The 
that baronetage with his own name in it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and names and dates. and. Okay, so he never had much hope and now has none of ever reading her name on any other page of the baronetage, his favorite work. Meaning what? Meaning, like, the one and only time that he'll ever see Anne's name is, is as it's printed. She's not going to add on to the legacy of the Elliot name. He has no hope of adding, of writing uh, Anne's husband's name, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, he doesn't think she's going to get married. She do he doesn't think she's going to have children. That's like the shorthand. Right, right. All equality of alliance must rest with Elizabeth. What does that mean? Um, marriage now. Elizabeth has taken on the the brunt of the responsibility of getting married and continuing the lineage. Right. And, like, marrying someone who is worthy of an Elliot, right? Yeah. All equality of alliance. Like, basically a marriage that is worthy of the Elliot name. Right. I think this equality, that's Sir Walter's, in Sir Walter's words. Oh, definitely. Like, someone who is equal to the Elliot name. Which was a is a it's a tall order to, to, uh, Sir Wal to Sir Walter, despite the fact that he was rejected twice. Yeah, well, that's a very small pool in Sir Walter's mind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> people who are equal, uh, uh, an equal alliance with Elliot, right? Right. Okay, so it's up to Elizabeth to basically bag like a rich noble husband, right? Mm -hmm. All the quality of alliance must rest. I'm sorry, with Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. It's up to Elizabeth now, according to Sir Walter, to bag a rich noble husband. Yes. For Mary had merely connected herself with an old country family of respectability and large fortune, and had therefore given all the honor and received none. Great. That's a that's a joke. That's supposed yeah, to be funny. Right. And Mary had only connected herself with an old country family of respectability and large fortune. Only. Only. And had therefore given all the honor and received none. All Me the honor. Meaning what? Just that, like. She, like, I, Sir Walter places more value on the Elliot name than on the fact that Mary, like, bagged a rich man. Uh, she actually did, like, yeah. do what she sort of, as a daughter of a, of a, of a, um, baronet, um, she did do what she was supposed to do, which is marry rich. And she did do that. It's just not noble enough It's for just him. not noble enough because it's, it's a, it's an old country family of respectability. Uh, so no titles. No titles. They've been around forever. So they are respectable. And they're but, rich. Yeah, and they're rich. But according to Sir Walter, that's like a giant step down for Mary, marrying into the Musgrove family, <laughs> this unpleasing sounding name. Yeah, and had therefore given all the honor and received none. Yeah, so Mary like lowered herself in this marriage. Like the Elliots had given all the like, it was only to the Musgrove's credit that they are now affiliated with the Elliots. And not the other way around. It didn't do any credit to the honor of the yeah. Elliot house. According to Sir Elliot. Yeah. Or sorry, Sir Walter. Sir Walter, Elliot. yeah, exactly. Elizabeth would, one day or other, marry suitably. This, these are most definitely Sir Walter's words. Yeah. So he's like, it's a sure thing in his mind that even though Mary had degraded herself by marrying <laughs> this lowly, rich country family, and Anne was never, even though Anne's never going to get married, <laughs> Elizabeth will one day bag that man who is worthy of the Elliot name, right? Yes. Okay. You want to take over from here? It sometimes happens that a woman is handsomer at 29 than she was 10 years before at 19. And generally speaking, if there has been neither ill health nor anxiety, it is a time of life at which scarcely any charm is lost. It was so with Elizabeth, mm -hmm. still the same handsome Miss Elliot that she had begun to be 13 years ago. So 
Elizabeth has only, her beauty has only increased with age mm-hmm. than when she probably was like first introduced to society 13 right. years ago. When she became Miss, Miss Elliot. Elliot. Oh, you're right. And yes. I think 13 <clears throat> years ago would have been like around when six... the mother died, right? Yeah. And that's when she became Miss Elliot. Yeah, it probably would have been the same year that she would have like debuted in society. Would like have been if she was 16. The same year yeah. that her mother died. Coming out right around the same time. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. So, um, had been 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. And Sir Walter might be excused, therefore, in forgetting her age. Or, at least, be deemed only half a fool (laughs) for thinking himself and Elizabeth as blooming as ever amidst the wreck of the good looks of everybody else. For he could plainly see how old all the rest of his family and acquaintance were growing. Anne Haggard, Mary Corse, every face in the neighborhood worsting. And the rapid increase of the crow's foot about Lady Russell's temples had long been a distress to him. <laughs> Jesus. I think this is, there's a lot going on here. Just to like work backwards. I think this is a little bit of an insight into why Sir Walter and Lady Russell never happened. Because of her crow's feet. Because of her crow's feet. <laughs> well, she's an appropriate age. I think that put him off, honestly. Yeah. He's, he can see aging in her. Yeah. I think he thinks he's probably, not only does he know that he's of a higher standing, but I think he probably thinks he's much handsomer than Lady Russell. Like, oh, yeah. He would, Lady, he is out of Lady Russell's league, according to Sir Walter. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, I'm, they would have been a good match because, because he's repulsive and, um, and rich mm-hmm. and Lady Russell would have, I mean, well, she doesn't need to remarry, but if she were to remarry, like, but ex- like, ignoring how ridiculous Sir Walter is as a character, like, he would have been a good match for her. Well, she would have been a, a lot of help in maintaining the home. That's probably. also true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but uh, okay. So here's some. Yeah. So yeah. we know Elizabeth is 29, right? And that she is still very beautiful, mm-hmm. arguably more beautiful than she was at 19. Um, and um, and okay. Yeah. So yeah, and so she is just as handsome as she was 13 years ago. And therefore, because she is still so beautiful, mm-hmm. that Sir Walter may be excused for forget and forgetting how old she is. Right, and the subtext being like that she's twenty nine, still not married. Sorry, yeah. that that's old at that time. Yeah, and it was up to it was the father's responsibility to to especially especially with the mother dead. It would be his responsibility to make sure that she was married uh-huh but and... but sir walter is not thinking about this at all because she's so beautiful he like it's almost like he still thinks that she's 21 or something right like he just can't it, it like has not hit him that like oh she's about to i mean she has kind of entered spinster age it's just that she is so i guess youthful and beautiful that he just forgets that mm-hmm. she's so like himself that no <laughs> way can she be getting near the dangerous age yeah, right yeah. Uh-huh. yeah he himself and elizabeth as blooming as ever he is still blooming in his own brain <laughs> he still thinks he's as handsome as he was when he first married mm-hmm. and this is some great dry austin humor so she's so beautiful sir walter might be excused in forgetting elizabeth's age or at least be deemed only half a fool for thinking himself and elizabeth as blooming as ever there's that <laughs> word again blooming blooming uh-huh. Admits the wreck of the good looks of everybody else. Do you think, amidst the wreck of the good looks, do you think that's like a nautical term? Ooh, it is a nautical term. It's a nautical book. Uh, so maybe maybe there's some, some I don't know, nautical inserts here. Maybe, yeah. Well, Sir Walter was not in the Navy, as we will soon no. learn. We never would get anywhere close to it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he might be excused and forgetting her age, or only be deemed half a fool 
for thinking that he looks as good as he ever did. So I think that's kind of implying that well, that's not really true. Maybe maybe <laughs> they don't really look as good as they always did. That's more of Sir Walter's like POV kind of. Yeah. Amidst the wreck of the good looks of everyone else. Gosh. This is how Sir Walter keeps track of the passage of time by noticing how much older everyone is looking, right? Yeah, and how much uh, uglier they are now. And for everyone other than himself and Elizabeth. For he could plainly see how old the rest of his family and acquaintance were growing. I mean, that is some serious self-delusion there, that he looks around him and sees everyone else aging except himself and Elizabeth. Uh, and the wreck of the good looks. It's such a, <laughs> it's so dramatic. Uh... <laughs> It, like yeah like like he's witnessing some sort of like disaster in front of him uh, and there is no such thing in sir walter's brain as gracefully aging no. there's either him and elizabeth who are perpetually youthful <laughs> and then there's everyone else and any sign of age is like disgusting to him yeah Anne is haggard yeah. mary mary is coarse well what do you think it means by coarse like just wearied I think so. I think it's also connected to, like, the country family thing. Like, she's oh. becoming less refined, kind yeah, of, in his yeah. mind. She's got dirt under her fingernails She's becoming now. a musgrove. <laughs> Every face in the neighborhood worsened. <laughs> he just goes around the neighborhood like, you look like trash. <laughs> You've gotten worse. <laughs> <laughs> and here's... And the rapid increase of the crow's foot about Lady Russell's temples had long been a distress to him. It's so minor and specific. This the, is the like, crow's feet, you yeah. Know? This is like he has no business worrying about these, like, like yeah, like these features on other people, and yet he is like making a mental ledger of how everyone else around him is aging, uh -huh. like to the point where he even notices like Lady Russell's crow's feet, and how that is like a, a weirdly personal source of distress for himself. Yeah, that personally distresses him. Why do you think that personally distresses him? Because she's close to them, right? He's going to be seen with her. Yeah. He doesn't want to be seen with unattractive people. He'll explicitly say that later in the book. Because <laughs> he's connected to her. He doesn't want to be connected with anyone that has crow's feet, yeah, right? Yeah, right. This is, this is the kind of person that Sir Walter is. And it's also like crow's feet is like moral degradation in Sir Walter's brain. Yeah. Like crow's feet, bad person. Yeah. Okay. Elizabeth did not quite equal her father in personal contentment. <laughs> Thirteen years had seen her mistress of Kellynch Hall presiding and directing with a self-possession and decision which could never have given the idea of her being younger than she was. Mm -hmm. So, kind of in a nutshell, Elizabeth had to grow up pretty fast. Um, yeah. She didn't, she's not as, like, ignorant as her father is. If her father doesn't realize Elizabeth is 29, Elizabeth is all too aware of it, right? Yeah. She knows that she's getting up there in age. Well, yeah, because she has, well, it starts off with saying she has a self-possession and decision, which is, like, she is, like, has, like, a real, she's, like, really sure of herself. Mm -hmm. So, like, no one with, no one would be fooled into thinking she was younger than she was because she just has the maturity of, like, a 29-year-old person. Um, I mean, she's basically been acting as the wife of Sir Walter for, of. like, 13 years. Yeah. So, for 13 years, she had been doing the honors and laying down the domestic law at home. Oh, my God. And leading the way to the chase and four, because she is the head of... She would be the mistress of the house, mm -hmm. so she's the leader of 
entering the Chosen Four. Right. And walking immediately after Lady Russell out of all the drawing rooms and dining rooms in the country. The, okay, this is a good insight into, this is Elizabeth doing the honors and laying down the domestic law, right? Yeah. Leading the way to the carriage and following Lady Russell out of every uh, ball of any credit in the country, right? Yeah, being the line leader, essentially. In the country is also, you know, there's not that many balls. This is not that big a responsibility. <laughs> Thirteen winters, revolving frosts, had seen her opening every ball of credit. Of credit. Which a scanty neighborhood afforded. Uh-huh. So, like, to your point, like, it's not a big ask for her to be, like, leading balls of, like, four and twenty families or something like that. Yeah, there's probably not that. I'm. She's definitely, like, sliding other dances that she thinks are beneath her. Mm. And thirteen springs shone their blossoms as she traveled up to London with her father for a few weeks' annual enjoyment of the great world. This is great. So for 13 winters, she mm. led balls, so worthy balls, and for 13 springs, she traveled to London with her father. 13 winters revolving frosts. I love that. <laughs> the, there's so much seasonal imagery in yeah. this book, and it's because it's about the passage of time it and is about, aging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is a great, this is like an amazing like mini montage in this one sentence. Mm-hmm. 13 winters of balls have passed. 13 springs have shown their blossoms. Blossoms have come up 13 times. And she, every spring, she traveled up to London with her father for a few weeks' annual enjoyment of the great world. Of, like, society. Uh-huh. The great world being a couple blocks in London, probably. <laughs> she had the remembrance of all this. She had the consciousness of being t- 9 and 20 to give her some regrets and some apprehensions. So she is aware of her age. She does not feel young. Mm-hmm. She's a little less delusional than Sir Walter, I think. But she felt her approach to the years of danger, which would have rejoiced to be certain of being properly solicited by Baronet Blood within the next twelve month or two. Oh, I think you missed the Oh, beginning sorry, of that hold sentence. on, sorry. Yeah. Let me let me let me start over. She was fully satisfied of being still quite as handsome as ever. Okay, so she agrees with Sir Walter on that front. Yes. I'm as handsome as ever. But she felt the reproach to the years of danger and would have rejoiced to be to be certain of being properly solicited by Baronet Blood. Within the next twelve month or two. Okay, so yeah, she feels she she knows she knows she's hot stuff. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I mean, it's like she would really appreciate it if a baronet would propose to her in the next year or two. I think Sir Walter is so delusional. He really believes himself and Elizabeth live in this like chamber where time never passes. <laughs> like everyone else grows old around them and they remain the same age. You're this right. is what Sir Walter thinks. You're and right. Elizabeth, even though she thinks I'm as hot as ever, realizes, hey, I'm getting older, and I really, I gotta get married in the next year or two, right? These, yeah, like, to, to go back to the winters revolving frosts and the wind springs showing their blossoms, like, I think this is, Elizabeth is taking into account these passages of time. Mm-hmm. She has seen years come and gone, um, and she's nowhere closer to getting married. Yeah. And she's like, I got I got like two years left before <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what happens then. Yeah. It's got to be baronet, properly solicited by baronet blood. Baronet blood. Uh-huh. So not even like a recently, um, a recent entry into that book. Like she wants like old. Old blood. Old yeah, blood. yeah. I like the blood is what she wants. <laughs> not the man, <laughs> the blood. <laughs> then might she again take up the book of books. The baronessy. Yeah. With as much enjoyment as in her early youth. But now she liked it not. This is, the Baronessy is Sir Walter's Bible, the book of books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not Genesis. (laughs) (laughs) Always to be presented with the date of her own birth, 
and see no marriage follow but that of a youngest sister, ouch, Mm -hmm. made the book an evil. Yeah. And more than once, when her father had left it open on the table near her, had she closed it with averted eyes and pushed it away. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) It's like this, this like, curse upon her house. This, like, cursed book that her father adores that she's, like, that's just a constant reminder of her getting older. Sir Walter finds immense satisfaction in the book. The book, like, haunts Elizabeth, right? That is kind of, oh my god, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about that. Like, it's this... Like, yeah, it is, like, this this curse upon the house. I think Sir Walter, like, lives in this weird delusional world. Like, he is so satisfied with himself, even though his life, you know, just from these pages so far, his life is not that great, really. He's got this title, he's got this ancient family name, but, like, not a whole lot is going on for him or his daughters. Mm. Uh, but he's still, like, so satisfied with who he is and this title that he can look at the book with satisfaction, Right. Where Elizabeth is not so deluded as to think, like, hey, everything is as great as it ever was, right? Well, it's because she's a woman. Yeah, She's got so much more to lose. Uh (laughs) She had had a disappointment, moreover, which that book, that book. (laughs) The book of books. And especially the history of her own family must ever present the remembrance of. Okay, all right. So here's more backstory, right? The heir presumptive, the very William Walter Elliot Esquire whose rights had been so generously supported by her father, had disappointed her. I love that. Had disappointed her. I mean, yeah, like, this book is just nothing but torment for Elizabeth, and yet it is something that, like, her own father pours over and and loves. Uh, Not only is this book for Elizabeth a reminder that she's not married, it also includes the name of a man who she hoped to have married at some point. Yeah. She had, Elizabeth had, while a very young girl, as soon as she had known him to be, in the event of her having no brother, the future baronet, um, meant to marry him. So William Walter. Yeah. yeah. So Elizabeth had known at an early age that because she had no brothers, mm-hmm. that this William Walter Elliot Esquire, <laughs> yeah, was the future baronet uh-huh. and therefore wanted to marry him. And it should only make sense that she should. Like, yeah. Who else but an Elliot could be worthy of an Elliot, right? <laughs> and her father had always meant that she should. He had not been known to them as, oh, sorry. So William Walter Elliot had mm-hmm. not been known to them as a boy. They hadn't known him in his childhood. But soon after Lady Elliot's death, Sir Walter had sought the acquaintance. And though his overtures had not been met with any warmth, he had persevered in seeking it, making allowance for the modest drawing back of youth. And in one of their spring excursions to London, when Elizabeth was in her first bloom. Bloom again. Mr. Elliot had been forced into the introduction. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, all right. Let's just break this down a little bit. So from an early age, as soon as Elizabeth knew that this William Walter Elliot was going to be the heir to the family line, she wanted to marry him, yeah. right? So and she can continue to be the mistress of Kelly and Shaw. Yes. Yeah, and go ahead. And yeah, and even her father, it was it was, it was was almost like deemed by her father that this would, this would be the match. Mm-hmm. Um... Even though we, they had no idea of really who he was as a boy. Yeah. Uh, but then after Lady Elliot died, Sir Walter sought the acquaintance. Okay. And why do you think he seeks the acquaintance right after Lady Elliot's death? Um. Why is that? It's kind of confirmation. I'm not getting a son unless um, I remarry. Like my wife just died. I'm probably not going to have a son. So you are now. I now accept you are my <laughs> heir. Right. You were the heir to the estate. That's right. Yeah. And though his overtures had not been met with any warmth. Um, Sir Walter's overtures. Yeah, had not been met by 
Mr. Elliot, aka yeah. we're just gonna refer William Walter Elliot, Mr. Elliot. the heir. From here on, we're gonna refer to him as Mr. Elliot. Yeah, had not been met with any warmth. He had persevered in seeking it. So, Mr. Elliot sounds like had no real desire to meet Sir Walter, and yet Sir Walter insisted, mm -hmm. making allowance for the modest drawing back of youth. Oh, youth, you know, they're modest. They don't. <laughs> That's why he's rejecting my advances. <laughs> And in one of their spring excursions to London, when Elizabeth was in her first bloom, mm -hmm. Mr. Elliot had been forced <laughs> into the introduction. Love so, that. yeah. During one, when they were in London one spring, when Elizabeth was still, like, young and in the height of her, like... Beauty. Ripeness for marriage. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Uh, <clears throat> they basically forced Mr. Elliot into meeting them somehow. Yeah. Mr. Elliot was, at that time, a very young man, just engaged in the study of the law. And Elizabeth found him extremely agreeable, and every plan in his favor was confirmed. <laughs> Just like I, it's it's very it's like the women controlling the marriages narrative, like in, like in Pride and Prejudice, it's uh -huh. like the female members of the household are the ones deciding like this will be our husband, this will be the husband. Right. She saw him. He's handsome. He speaks well. Check. You know <laughs> these ambitions I had of marrying him all along, like confirmed. He's a, he's a, everything I wanted him to be. Right. He was invited to Kellynch Hall. He was talked of and expected all the rest of the year, but he never came. Mm -hmm. The following spring, he was seen again in town, found equally agreeable, <laughs> again encouraged, invited, and expected, and again did not come. Ouch. And the next tidings were that he was married. Damn, what an insult to the Elliots. Instead of pushing his fortune in the line marked out for the heir of the house of Elliot, he had purchased independence by uniting himself to a rich woman of inferior birth. Bastard! Yeah, so not only had he not married Elizabeth, sin number one, he hadn't even married a noble woman. Like, he didn't even attach himself to, like, ancient blood. It's just some lowly rich woman without any, <laughs> any titles, right? A rich woman of inferior birth. Sir Walter had resented it. As I'm sure you can imagine. It's, it's amazing how much we know. About, we just get this such a great, like, robust picture of Sir Walter in, like, a matter of, like, three pages now. Uh, oh, yeah. And we also have, I feel like we have a lot about Mr. Elliot already. And Mr. In, like, Elliot. one paragraph. Like, you know, they wanted him, like, they were trying to bring him into the family. And he, for whatever reason, did not want to just wait until he inherited the baronetcy. He wanted to be independent. And the way he did this was by marrying a rich woman. With no titles. With no titles. So, like, yeah. with essentially no strings attached. A he, rich woman with no titles is, like, you don't have to think about the family or anything like that. Like, uh, and as we'll see, they didn't even have children. Right. So, he was, that's, you know, if she gave him the money in that marriage, Mr. Elliot provided the the nobility of his name. Yeah. He pulled a Mary. <laughs> uh -huh, exactly. <laughs> in Sir Walter's eyes, he pulled a Mary. Uh, okay. And Sir Walter had resented this marriage. As the head of the house... He felt, Sir Walter felt, that he ought to have been consulted, <laughs> especially after taking the young man so publicly by the hand. Mm -hmm. Quote, For they must have been seen together, he observed, once at Tattersall's and twice in the lobby of the House of Commons. Okay, so this is Sir Walter publicly taking Mr. Elliot by the hand. <laughs> They've been seen three times together in public, right? <laughs> Twice, oh no, once at Tattersall's, mm. which in my book says it's a place in London where you buy horses. Okay. And twice in the lobby of the House of Commons. 
Okay. Yeah. So we were seen together. Yeah. So yeah, they met two times, but yet Sir Walter feels like Mr. Elliot should have consulted him before he got married. <laughs> and he also thought that like by meeting him like two times and like going out with him in public three times that all of a sudden like equates... I took this young man by the hand and led him through society, right? <laughs> he owed me. Uh-huh. Um, Sir Walter's disapprobation was expressed, but apparently very little regarded. Mr. Elliot had attempted no apology and shown himself as unsolicitous of being, no lo- of being longer noticed by the family, as Sir Walter considered him unworthy of it. All acquaintance had them bit. Oh, sorry. All acquaintance between them had ceased. So Mr. Elliot had shown himself as unsolicited, unsolicitous of being longer noticed by the family, as Sir Walter considered him unworthy of it. Great. Right. So it was just a mutual separation. Uh huh. Yeah. Sir, Mr. Elliot doesn't want anything to do with Sir Walter, and now that Mr. Elliot has married this lowly rich woman, he doesn't want anything to do with Mr. Elliot. Right. Right. All acquaintance between them has ceased. This very awkward history of Mr. Elliot was still, after an interval of several years, felt with anger by Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I get it. Understandable. Yeah. Who had liked the man for himself, and still more for being her father's heir, mm. and whose strong family pride could see o- could see only in him a proper match for Sir Walter Elliot's eldest daughter. Right. That's another interesting, like, um, like you know how Sir Walter Elliot's ideal person is Sir Walter Elliot, Elizabeth's ideal perfect match, or or Elizabeth's perfect match for herself, or rather, what's the word? The perfect match for herself, or what is it? Like, she deems, she deemed Mr. Elliot the perfect match for herself, who in her eyes is Sir Walter Elliot's eldest daughter. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They, like, think of themselves separately. Yeah, There's yeah. me as a person, but then there's also me, the title, the Elliot, that is, right? Right. There's also just so much vanity going on here. Mm. Like, the only person that's worthy of Sir Walter's daughter is Sir Walter's heir, yeah. right? The only person that's worthy of an Elliot is an Elliot. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot going on here, yeah. Right. Uh, there was not a baronet from A to Z mm-hmm. whom her feelings could have so willingly acknowledged as an equal. Oh, okay. And this is funny. From A to Z, referring to the book. Oh right? my god, yeah. There wasn't a baronet from A to Z in the whole of the baronetcy, in all of the book of books, that could have been equal to Elizabeth, right? Yeah, other than another Elliot. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I, lo- I love just... they. This book, like, is the structure that is their lives, right? <laughs> Yet, so miserably had he conducted himself, <laughs> that though she was at this present time, in parentheses, the summer of 1814. Amazing. This is where, this is the time and place, the summer of 1814. Wearing black fall. ribbons for his wife. So she was um, do, making a show of grieving his wife? Well, let's finish the sentence, okay. then we'll talk about it. She could not admit him to be worthy, to be worth thinking of again. Okay. Yet, so miserably had he conducted himself... That though she was at this present time, the summer of 1814, wearing black ribbons for his wife, aka his wife is dead, <laughs> she could not admit him to be think- worth thinking of again. So even though, so Mr. Elliot had conducted himself so miserably that even though his poor, I mean his uh, lowly rich wife is now dead, Elizabeth wouldn't consider marrying him again. Right. And it's revealed that his wife is dead through the fact that Elizabeth is wearing, like, a black ribbon, a couple black ribbons for her. Right. So I guess, like, to your point, 
I guess since they were connected, even though they never talked, like, Elizabeth is still going through the show of wearing, like, some form of mourning for this dead connection of hers, right? Yeah, because they are technically, like, they're technically related, her and this this woman that uh, he um, abandoned Elizabeth for. So she sort of has to still make a show of, of showing the world that the Elliots are in mourning. Right. I, I don't, it's not like a full regalia of mourning. It's like so, a few black, like, ribbons. It's kind of like doing the bare minimum to uphold the Elliot name. Uh-huh. Which is like, it's so hypocritical because they hate this woman. <laughs> they hate Mr. Elliot specifically because he married this woman. Yeah. Uh, but the, the gist really is that even though Mr. Elliot's wife is now dead, Elizabeth is not even going to think about him again, right? Well, she couldn't admit to him to be worth thinking of him. She could not admit, admit him, him to, to be, be worth thinking of again. That's an interesting way to put it. Like, yeah. like she won't even let him through the doors of her mind. Like, uh -huh. that is that is shut off. You right. Know, that's closed off. Yeah, you ruined that, man. <laughs> the disgrace of his first marriage might, perhaps as there was no reason to suppose it perpetuated by offspring, had have been <laughs> got over had he not done worse. So if they had had children, then that disgrace of the marriage could not have been gotten over. Right. right? But since they didn't, Elizabeth could possibly see past that. Had he not done worse. Had he not done worse. And, and what, what, what did he do that was worse than marrying a, okay. an inferior rich woman? So had he not done worse... But he had, <laughs> as by the accustomary intervention of kind friends, they had been informed, spoken most disrespectfully of them all, most slightingly and contemptuously of the very blood he belonged to, and the honors which were hereafter to be his own. So he went around talking shit about the Elliots. Right. And this could not be pardoned. <laughs> That's... Yeah, that is the gr most grave offense that you could possibly make to Elizabeth and Sir Walter is to insult, you know, the Elliot name, the very blood, the noble blood that is the Elliots, right? Yeah. And then they had to hear this, like, from friends. Uh-huh, which I'm sure was very humiliating. Mm. So he's basically, like, given up his right to be to the noble heritage that is the Elliots by, like, bad-mouthing his own blood, I guess. Except that he will inherit the Elliot name. That is his birthright. Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's more motivation for, like, why did Mr. Elliot, he's going to get this estate no matter what. Like, why does he have to, like, hang out with Sir Walter? That's right? a great question. Uh -huh. And we'll see why all of a sudden Mr. Elliot makes an appearance mm. and suddenly becomes buddy buddies with Sir Walter and friends. We'll see that later on. Uh -huh. Spoilers. Such... Or Elizabeth Elliot's sentiments. Well, he's going to come back. That's not a spoiler. Okay, fine. Such were Elizabeth Elliot's sentiments and sensations. Okay. All, all of what we just said. Such the cares to alloy, the agitations to vary, the sameness and the elegance, the prosperity and the nothingness of her scene of life. Okay. So, even though, you know, Elizabeth is like, this distresses her, this whole like little history with Mr. Elliot... At least it gives her some variety of the monotony <laughs> that is her life, right? Yeah. Such the cares to alloy, the agitations to vary, <laughs> the sameness and the elegance, the prosperity and the nothingness of her scene in life. And I feel like if there were to be a book written about Elizabeth Elliot, it might be called The Prosperity and the Nothingness. <laughs> Such the feelings to give interest to a long, uneventful residence in one country circle to fill the vacancies which there were no habits of utility abroad, no talents or accomplishments for home to occupy. Okay. So even though, you know, 
Mr. Elliot grievously injured, uh, insulted the Elliots through various means, at least it's given Elizabeth something else to think about, like something else to do other than like opening balls and walking in carriages. Yeah, because she does nothing else other than right. that. <laughs> yeah. Other than like hang around this podunk country town. Uh huh. Yeah, she, to fill the vacancies, which there are no habits of utility abroad, like she didn't do, like, she didn't participate in any charities, she, like, didn't go out in the world, she has, like, very few interests, seemingly, no talents or accomplishments at home to occupy, like, her time, to fill the vacancies that (laughs) is her life. I feel like this, like, simultaneously, like, gives her some sympathy because it's, like, her life is so boring that, like... It's like her life is so boring that this is the thing that gives her some excitement in life is being like rejected. Uh, but also it also undercuts her own like it also undercuts her own like self pity because it's like, well, you know, like this is like I don't know. It, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just like don't feel bad for her because she's still you know, like enjoying life. Right. At least it's giving her something to do. Yeah, at least right? it gave her something uh, to do, something to think about. And also like you know, Elizabeth is not, uh, it's a character who, like, it seemingly, like, has no interests other than being the mistress of Kelly and Shaw. Like, I don't think she follows any artistic pursuits. She doesn't have hobbies. She isn't really, like, working for other people. She doesn't do good for others. Like, all she does is, like, open balls of credit and, <laughs> like, sit around with Sir Walter, probably. Yeah. And so at least, like, even though she's been grievously insulted by Mr. Elliot, at least it's something to think about. Mm-hmm, yeah. At least, like, a little spice in her life. Uh-huh. All right. Do you want to keep going? Yes. But now, another occupation and solicitude of mine was beginning to be added to these. So, good news. She's got some more things to think about. Her father was growing distressed for money. <laughs> she knew that when he now took up the baronetage, it was to drive the heavy bills of his tradespeople and the unwelcome hints of Mr. Shepherd, his agents, from his thoughts. So now when Elizabeth is now privy to the fact that Sir Walter is not very good at money management. Nope. And she knows whenever he's looking at the baronetage, it's to comfort him from the thoughts that, like, I owe these trade people a bunch of money. I can imagine her just sort of, like, watching his father, like, walk into the library to look at his book. And she's like, well, so he's just going to ignore the heavy bills. Like, that are piling up now. Uh Uh-huh. It's like, oh, every time he picks up the book, she can assume, oh, he got another bill today, you know, (laughs) another reminder of a late notice. Like, Mr. Shepard, like, told him again, his agent, meaning, like, his business manager, basically, like, told him again, like, hey, your funds are tapped, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. The Kelly Inch property was good, but not equal to Sir Walter's apprehension of the state required in its possessor. (laughs) This is, this is an essential (laughs) sentence to Sir Walter's character. Mm -hmm. The Kelly Inch property was good but not equal to Sir Walter's apprehension of the state required in its possessor. Meaning what? Well, what does it mean? Sir Walter lives beyond his means. That's, yeah. in essence, that's what it means. Right. It's a little more, you know, there's more nuance to it. But if you're trying to look for the bare meaning, Sir Walter expends more than he gets from his property. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, so, yeah, like, Kelly's property is great, but not it's not nearly as great as Sir Walter thinks it is. So he is taking in money as a property owner. Like, assumedly, you know, he's got, like, tenants, whatever, you know, he gets a share of the money they make on their crops. Mm. But that money that's coming in from Kelly Inch is nowhere near the amount of money that Sir Walter spends. Yeah. And so he thinks as the property owner of Kelly Inch, he needs to be spending lots and lots of money in order to, like, 
be a worthy like owner of it right he thinks yeah. the owner and this is more of like thinking of myself as a separate entity than who i am he believes the owner of kelly inch has to be living in a very high and luxurious lifestyle even though the kelly inch property doesn't bring in enough money to support such a lifestyle right yes yes and just another reason sir walter's an idiot <laughs> okay while lady elliot lived there had been method moderation and economy which had just kept him within his income. But with her had died all such right-mindedness. Great. And from that period, he had been constantly exceeding it. So some... Lady so Elliot... Lady yeah. Elliot was the one who was keeping them afloat, who was managing finances and making sure they don't go above their means. Despite Sir Walter. I would not be surprised if she just, like, hid funds from him or uh, something like that. Yeah. But as soon as she died, all the kind of, like, everything fell onto Sir Walter, and now he just... Spends like a French king. Uh, yeah, exactly. This is, it's just more of his vanity. Sir Walter thinks he should be living like a king, mm. even though he's just like a baronet, you know? Mm. Even baronets have to show some restraints with like the money they spend. <laughs> right. But apparently Sir Walter doesn't think so. Yeah, especially with like, as it says here, the Kelly Inch property was good, which means it's not great. It, it's pretty good, but it's not like the most prosperous property in the land. Right. It's probably not even close. Right. But for some reason, Sir Walter thinks, as Sir Walter Elliot, I have to be, like, living, like you said, living like a French king, right? <laughs> uh, fortunately, while Lady Elliot was alive, she kept him within his income, but once she died, he just started spending like crazy. Yep. It had not been possible for him to spend less. <laughs> That's Sir Walter. What, what do you want me to do? It was not possible for me to spend less. <laughs> had not been possible for him to spend less. He had done nothing but what Sir Walter Elliot was imperiously called on to do. <laughs> Again, the separation of himself and the title and the, the great name of Sir Walter Elliot. Uh-huh. It's like, what do you expect Sir Walter Elliot to do? Not spend like Sir Walter Elliot? He talks about himself like the Prince of Wales. Like, what would you expect of the Prince of Wales, right? <laughs> okay. But, and remember, this is all in Sir Walter's voice now. But, blameless as he was, <laughs> he was not only growing dreadfully in debt but was hearing of it so often that it became vain to attempt concealing it longer, even partially, from his daughter. So I like this. Like, the debt was bad, but it was okay as long as he didn't have to be hearing about it, right? <laughs> but now not only is the debt bad, but it's so bad he has to constantly be hearing about it, mm -hmm. and he can no longer keep it concealed from Elizabeth. Mm. Because why? Why is she's that? the mistress. And what is, what is Elizabeth going to notice if he, like, all of a sudden, if they're in a lot of debt? Uh, what? That they can't quite spend as much money oh, as yeah, before, right. I think. She's gonna notice that they don't have the money that they used to. I do like that, like, the immediate, like, the immediate step after having to acknowledge that they're in debt is to go running to his eldest daughter. It's, like, so pathetic. Uh-huh. But, well, who else is he gonna trust more than the person who is most like Sir Walter in this world, right? That, oh my god, yeah, you're right. You might as well go to your, um... Yeah, the mirror image of yourself. <laughs> Tell, let me talk about this uh, with myself and my gilded mirror. Right? <laughs> okay. He had given Elizabeth some hints of his debt the last spring in town. He, in London, that is. He had gone so far even as to say, Can we retrench? Does it occur to you that there is any one article in which we can retrench? What does retrench mean? I'm not sure. I think it just means, like, you know, save money. Yeah. Is there anything, like, we can... Is there any spending that we're doing that we can cut back on, kind of, right? Right, because I'm sure they were, like, spending with, like, not even considering money. And then all of a sudden he brings up, like, is there any way we can cut costs to this? I'm sure that would, like, 
be like kind of like a red flag to Elizabeth. Be like, why are you talking about uh, this? Like economize, kind of. Yeah. Is there any way that we can like lessen our expenditures <laughs> in any way? <laughs> so he comes to while they're in town, enjoying themselves, spending assumedly lots of money. Assuming, right? yeah, basically when they're on vacation. Uh, the worst time to bring this up. <laughs> Uh, he asks Elizabeth, can we retrench? Does it occur to you that there is any one article in, when, in which we can retrench? Is there even one thing that we can cut back on spending? <laughs> and Elizabeth, to do her justice, had in the first ardor of female alarm, set seriously to think what could be done, and it had finally proposed these two branches of economy. So to do Elizabeth some credit, she had thought about how can they save money, and these were the two ideas she came up with. To cut off some unnecessary charities. Great. And to refrain from the from new furnishing the drawing room. So these are the two ways that they can cut costs. Mm -hmm. Stop giving to charity. I like the unnecessary charities. Yeah. yeah. Stop giving to charity uh -huh. and not redo the drawing room. Right. I also like, there are some charities that they're giving to, which Elizabeth thinks are just like trash, right? <laughs> this is like, what are we doing in here? <laughs> some unnecessary. Uh -huh. And I like that that's number one. Yeah, cut, off. cut the charities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I guess we can live with the old drawing room furniture for another year. <laughs> to which expe expedience she afterwards added the happy thought of they're taking no present down to Anne, as had been the usual yearly custom. It's like, oh, and like as a third mo as a third branch of economy, if we need to, we can also just not get Anna present this year. Uh-huh. I can assume, I can admit that the charities and the furnishing of the drawing room might have actually saved some chunk of money, but the present that they're buying for Anne, like, they're not spending much on that. What are they getting her? Like a new hat? Uh-huh. It's like, oh, well, we can just not give her anything this year. Yeah, so I feel like that really is just like, let me take another opportunity of like dumping on Anne, right? Yeah. Also, not to mention that, like, we already knew this, but just more more illustrative, like, that, like, Sir Walter isn't even taking Anne with him to London. It's uh -huh. just Sir Walter and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. And Anne is at home by herself. The, Anne gets the present. That's like the, the present. <laughs> yeah, that's her one uh, concession. And Elizabeth is now saying, like, do we really need to bring that present to Anne? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But these measures, however good in themselves, that's a joke. That's, that's like Elizabeth's voice, but uh, Austin doesn't really think these are good measures. But these measures, however good in themselves, were insufficient for the real extent of the evil, the whole of which Sir Walter found himself obliged to confess to her soon afterwards. So it's like, like Sir Walter didn't exactly tell Elizabeth just how much in debt they were. So uh -huh. Elizabeth is sort of like brainstorming two or three viable options to spend uh, to save money. But now, now it's like, well, actually, uh, I have bad news. It's a lot worse than I implied. The real extent of the evil. <laughs> the evil being <laughs> the self self incurred debt. Uh -huh. Yeah, I can almost imagine Sir Walter like trying to displace blame. Like, this isn't my fault. I only did what was necessary of Sir Walter. It's because of evil in the world that we're in debt, right? <laughs> Elizabeth had nothing to propose of deeper efficacy. <laughs> These are her three ideas, and I'm out of ideas now. <laughs> Did I mention not giving a present to Anne? <laughs> she felt herself ill-used and unfortunate, as did her father. Elizabeth is more ill-used than Sir Walter. Oh, for sure. She should have been a little bit more aware of it, but it's really Sir Walter's fault. He is the one, he is the reason they're in so much debt. Yeah. I mean, also, like, the ill-used, it's, I feel like it's almost like a double, it takes on a double meaning because not only Ill, it's there, she's ill-used because now they're in debt, but it's ill-used. Ill she herself is actually being ill-used because she should not be the person that her father is going to for financial advice. Uh -huh. Like, she, he is using her 
in an ill way. Like, she's not equipped for this. Do you think she thinks that Sir Walter is ill-using her? No, I don't think so. I No, I think the key is she felt herself ill-used and unfortunate. Like, it just feels like to me she feels herself ill-used by the world. Like, yeah. this is the world's fault, right? Well, it's also interesting that she regards the book as the evil in her house, uh, and not Sir Walter. She's looking at the book as, like, as the, the symbol of her suffering, not her father. Uh, Maybe it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, she, Elizabeth felt ill-used and unfortunate, as did Sir Walter, even though this is all his fault. Yeah, maybe it's too much of a, a leap for her to recognize that it's her father that's the root of all this evil. Uh, if you, like, spend away all your money, you're not, like, just... You don't just have bad luck, you know? <laughs> that's, that's your fault. <laughs> okay, she felt herself ill-used and unfortunate, as did Sir Walter and they were neither of them able to devise any means of lessening their expenses without compromising their dignity or relinquishing their comforts in a way not to be born. Not to be born. Uh, it is not that, yeah. It's like it's like the universal truth that this kind of discomfort is not to be born. By them. By them, By yeah. an Elliot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, it just goes more to, like, we need to have all these unnecessary expenditures because it's part of the dignity of being an Elliot. Yeah. And an Elliot shouldn't have to put up with anything less than the the height of luxury, right? At most, we will stop giving to charity, but don't you dare say that we have to live below our means. Uh-huh. And it's just, you know, vanity. Vanity is the, it's the beginning and end of both of their characters, of both Sir Walter and Elizabeth. And, like, it's just so simple-minded. It's, like, to them, being the standard bearers of this ancient noble family only means, like, we should be living, like in the lap of luxury, right? Yeah. It only means we should be spending a lot of money and having a good time. Right. And I'm not going to... Okay, and then also, this isn't going to be a... This isn't much of a spoiler, but there is a solution to them getting... Like, escaping their debt, which will be proposed by Anne. Uh... Right? Anne, right? Well, we'll get into we'll it. We'll get into we'll it. We'll get into but it. But so it's yeah. like, we're not... This is not like... It's not like it's impossible for them to... Re, to, like, get their money affairs in order. It is possible. They just... They just can't think beyond their own, um, you know, standard of living. Yeah. Oh, they could very easily probably save a lot of money, but, like, they've convinced themselves that they need to be ridiculous, like, be irresponsible and ridiculous with their money. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. You want to read this, the <coughs> finish of the chapter here for us? Yes. There was only but a small part of his estate that Sir Walter could dispose of, but had every acre been alienable, it would have made no difference. Okay. He had condescended to mortgage as far as he had the power, but he would never condescend to sell. Why? So why is there only a small part of his estate that Sir Walter could dispose of, a.k.a. sell? Well, so according to the note that I have in my book, apparently um, there's a portion of the estate that he is legally allowed to mortgage, but um, he doesn't have the power to um, part and parcel Kellyanne Hall. It's like one piece that he's allowed to mortgage, but if he wanted to uh, get rid of the entire uh, estate, he would have to sell the whole thing. Well, okay, so according to like the terms of his inheritance. Inheritance, yeah. He, only a small part of the property actually belongs to Sir Walter outright. The vast majority of the property belongs to the House of Elliot, and he is not allowed to break up the property and sell it at his will. 
Like his job is to maintain that property and then pass it on to the next line. Right. So he only is allowed to mortgage and sell a small piece of the property. The vast majority of the property is like he can't do anything with. All he can do is just hold on to it for the next Elliot. Mm -hmm. That's how that the system works. Right, right. So uh, he, like, this is not, it's not a real solution for him to sell off the whole estate of Kelly Inch Hall or to mortgage all of it for, you know, to get loans because he only really owns a small part of it outright. The majority is owned by the House of Elliot, and you as the current Elliot can't sell off. Right. Like, part, you know, like you said, part and parcel your property. Right. But also, like, so in the beginning, this is how far he is in debt that even if he could, even if he could um, um, transfer, like, the entire... Uh, every acre of the property, it still would not have made a difference. Mm. Yeah, because he had condescended to mortgage as far as he, he had the power, but he would never condescend to sell. So even if he could have sold it all, he wouldn't have. <laughs> he would never disgrace this his name so far. <laughs> the Kelly Inch estate should be transmitted whole and entire as he received it. I like the should as if he has a choice. He doesn't have a choice. Right. Yeah. It's either like I, he... He is not it is not within his power, according to the agreements of his inheritance, to sell it off. No. He would not he will not be the Elliot that loses Kelly and Charles. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, even if he could legally, he still wouldn't do it because he even as ridiculous as Sir Walter is, he understands that it's very disgraceful to be the Elliot who lost the family seat, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you're Sir Walter, he didn't have, he didn't even have to work his life. All he had is one job, and that's to hold on to this piece of property. And he did a very bad job of it. Mm -mm. He surpassed his. I mean, he surpassed in making sure that he drowned in debt uh, and spent way above his means. Um, but yeah, no, he did not do a good job of doing the one thing that he was supposed to do as the as the Sir Walter Elliot of Kellyanne Hall, the the name that is so important to him in the book. Mm. He kind of. It's funny, he disappointed himself. He disappointed the great name that is in the book. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, he is the worst Elliot so far. <laughs> no other Elliot had lost the property. Or, I, we don't know, maybe they came close. But he is, uh, regardless, he's not doing a good job of being the standard bearer of the Elliot name. If, if he had inherited debt or something, I feel like it would have been mentioned in the book. But it just seems like no. he lived way above his means. And it, he, yeah. Yeah, he, he lived way more than, than Kelly and... Sh hall itself could afford because they were doing fine before lady elliot died right so the estate must have been fine when it was good as he got it and sir walter just thought it should have been better and spent himself into debt it's 100 yeah. percent sir walter's fault yeah in the 13 in 13 years he managed <laughs> yeah. to sink his finances uh i'll finish off the last paragraph okay. here there are two confidential friends. So elizabeth and sir walter's two confidential friends mm -hmm. mr shepherd who lived in the neighboring market town and Lady Russell were called on to advise them. Right. Remember, Mr. Shepard is Sir Walter's agent, just like his business manager. He's like a lawyer, kind of, kind of yeah, 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 manages yeah, yeah, his finances. Yeah. So after racking their brains on how to save money, they they had no idea, so they have to confide in Mr. Shepard and Lady Russell. This is the big idea they strike on and how to save money is, let's ask some other people. <laughs> and I'm sure they didn't want to because it's kind of embarrassing. Like, you want to keep this in the family. But these are two close confidants, so they can trust them. Right. And both father and daughter seem to expect that something should be struck out by one or the other to remove their embarrassments and reduce their expenditure 
without involving the loss of any indulgence of taste or pride.、Mm. So, how do we save money but still spend the exact same amount of money that we're spending now?、Mm-hmm. That's the question that they want to. They're asking Mr. Shepard and Lady Russell. Right. Well, they they can't accept that. Oh, we have to live in like a slightly more modest way because、right. that's a grave insult to you know the Elliot name. Surely there must be some way to save money and spend the same amount that we're spending right now. I mean, it's you know obviously it's hypocritical that Sir Walter thinks in order to preserve the dignity of his name he has to spend more than he has, and yet by doing that he is like <laughs> harming the dignity of his name because he's putting himself in a position where he might lose the family estate. Yeah, it would be tragic if he wasn't so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> So that's chapter one of persuasion. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Based on this first chapter, who would you assume the protagonist of this novel is? We would think I would think that it was Elizabeth. Right, like Elizabeth and Sir Walter. Yeah, but we'll quickly see that that is not the case. No, that is not the case in the least bit.、Mm. Well, why do you think Austen decided to、uh, present us with Elizabeth and Sir Walter as like the the anchors of this first chapter? I think maybe it's a well specifically like on the flips on the、um, opposite side of the, that coin. It's like well, why is the real main character Anne barely mentioned in the first chapter?、Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe just reflective of her, of her place in life right now. She's like almost like, to borrow like a kind of a dumb expression. It's like she's the side character of her own story. She's like a supporting character in her own story right now. But we'll see later on who the real star of the show is. That's a great point. Like, what better way to show how neglected Anne is in her own family than by giving the whole history of the family and only briefly mention Anne, right? Her name appears maybe twice in this chapter,、uh-huh. and she's the main character. <laughs> also, it's just kind of like this is building us toward the inciting incident, which is spoiler alert: they've got to lit Kelly and Hall.、Mm. You know that this is the reason why they do that, which in turn, you know, starts the series of events, which are the story. Yeah, it also. Well, I mean, I already gave the spoiler that like Anne is will be the mastermind behind actually saving the family by proposing that they not she doesn't propose it, but by coming up with the idea to let Kelly and Hall is that that will come back and we'll see that actually Anne is the one the smart one she's the <laughs> most valuable Elliot of the family. Is it? Is it her? Or I think it, it might be Mr. Shepherd who comes upon that happy idea. But Anne,、right. we'll see in the next chapter. Anne wants to、uh, adapt much more aggressive、uh, money-saving techniques than either Sir Walter or Elizabeth could fathom.、Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But yes, she is the. Re- well, we know she is the living and like living version of Lady Elliot, right?、Mm-hmm. The most a sensible person in the whole family. All the sense and、uh, reason went to Anne. <laughs> okay, so、um, that's chapter one.、Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we will come back for chapter two.、We、yeah, are, exactly. Starting up this podcast、uh-huh. again. Persuasion, exciting stuff happening. I'm excited. Yes. This is a fun first chapter. Sir Walter is an odious character, but I love him. He's so he's so funny. He's so terrible. So so is Elizabeth too. Yeah, yeah. I I forgot how much we insight we get into Elizabeth. That she is kind of also like a tragic character. She is a tragic character. I mean, she, like, and this is where a lot of the tragedy in the book comes from. Is just like it's. Keen awareness of the passage of time,、mm-hmm. and that's like is what gives Elizabeth her tragedy, or like you know adds the tragic element to her character in this first chapter. Is even though she's vain and ridiculous, and like you know to save money, the first thing she proposes is cutting off charities. Like 
she has had something of a tragic existence. She had to, like, take over the house as a teenager when her mother died. Mm -hmm. She has been, like, living this very mundane, boring experience with nothing to give her any variety other than, like, a spurned romance that almost existed entirely in her head. Like, I don't think Mr. Elliot thought it all of Elizabeth. No, it's just in their mind. They're like, well, the two Elliots must unite. But that was never the reality. Uh, she basically, the, the central event of her life is this disappointment. Yeah, that happened 13 years ago uh, when she was, like, in her teens. And now she is approaching 30 and still unmarried. Okay, so right. until chapter two, I'm Grace. And I'm Tom. Bye.